Bibles, if you would please, and open them to Revelation chapter 22. And in the message this evening, I'd like for us to return to verses 18 and 19, where we're discussing the final warning that's given in Scripture. I noticed on our sign out front, I believe this is what it said. It said, come visit us at 6 o'clock, the final warning. It's pretty serious, it really is. But we're aware now how that revelation is just filled with with information and warnings about uh, for those that don't know Christ and about the coming of Christ. And there are certainly warnings about how the world will end in this cataclysmic upheaval. And the Bible tells us how unbelievers will be will fall under the retributive justice of God rather than in his redeeming mercy. When God speaks, he means business. And these last few words of Revelation, uh, God means business when he says this because he promises there will be retribution against anyone that would dare change his word. So if you look at Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of this book, or words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, and out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. J.A. Seiss wrote very properly concerning the last warning of Scripture. He says, It is a book of the outcomes of the operations of God in our world. It is the great Redeemer's own foreshowing to his people how and wherein all their faith in him and all their expectations as true believers are to reach their final goal. There is therefore no more important sacred book, none more necessary to regulate the beliefs and anticipations of Christian people with regard to the future. To tamper with it is to tamper with the divinely given chart of the most momentous things in the destiny of Christ and his church and people. And I think we could probably sum that up by saying simply, it's God's book. And isn't that enough? That ought to be enough for us that God who is the creator and the supreme ruler of the universe, God who controls all things, what possible right do we have to alter anything that God says? And anyone who would do so forfeits his salvation. Now there's no born again child of God that would ever purposely tamper with God's scripture and that's because we we believe too much, we know too much, we respect it too much to ever do that. W.A. Criswell, the eloquent preacher that I've often quoted throughout this series in Revelation, responded to the belief that these words mean that it's possible for a Christian, if he were to take away or masculate the word of God, that this is a warning for a believer that he could actually lose his salvation. Now, uh, Criswell deals with that and tells us how that's not true. And then he reinforces the character of born-again believers concerning God's word. He writes this, he says, Does the threat imply that a man who is regenerated, saved, born again, could fall away and be finally lost? Impossible. 
It is as impossible as is the suggestion that a regenerated man would mutilate God's holy word. He would not do it. It does not belong to the elect of God to change God's word, nor would it enter the heart of man who is regenerated to do aught else but to reverence God's holy book. I may not be able to understand all that is written in the Bible. I may not be able to explain it. I may not be able to enter into the depths of its riches and its mysteries. But to emasculate, to interdict, to change, to mutilate, to add to, to take away from God's word is something no sincere child of God would ever do. One of the signs to me of a born-again Christian is his reverence for and devotion to the word of God. Those who love Jesus, who are elect, who belong to his kingdom, would never mutilate or change God's holy revelation. And so if it's not born-again Christians who desire to change the word of God, then who is it? Who, Who does desire to change it? Well, those who change God's word, if they're not born-again Christians, and they have to be people that are under the influence of Satan. And so whenever you see God's word mutilated, whether that's in a sermon, whether it's in a commentary, whether it's in a translation of scripture, when anybody takes it upon himself to change God's word, then you know uh, that is on purpose, then you know that that person is working under the power of Satan. Now let me back up for just a few minutes to the beginning of last week's message and we were discussing the Bible is the full revelation of God to man and we discussed how the Bible is a supernatural book and how it came to us it didn't fall out of the sky it wasn't discovered hidden in a cave somewhere it wasn't written on golden plates and we were led to it and led to understand it by an angel but this book came to us under the inspiration of God that God used men to write the words of the Bible, and these are God's words. And while they wrote, God superintended the writing of Scripture so that he allowed these men to reflect their own, chi- uh, their own style. He allowed them to put in a little bit of their personality as they wrote, so you can often tell which writer is the one who wrote a certain Scripture. But everything that's written there was inspired by God. And inspired means that God breathed these scriptures into the men. And then we also learned that the word of God is plenarily inspired. And that means that what God breathed is the full and complete revelation of God to man. And so we're not waiting on a further revelation. We have everything that God intended to give us. And this will suffice us and this will satisfy us until the very last word of the book of Revelation is fulfilled. And then thirdly, we discussed how that God has preserved his word. And he didn't promise that he would preserve the actual parchments that the prophets and the apostles and others wrote on. And I suppose God had good reason not doing that because what people would tend to do is then to worship those parchments. I mean, goodness knows how the Roman Catholic Church has their relics and turn those things into idols. So God doesn't want his word turned into an idol. And you can search the world over and you're never going to find an original manuscript from the prophets, the apostles, and the others. But what we do have are copies of scripture. And we have very faithful copies of those because God has promised to preserve his word. And so there were people in the past that took this job of copying the scriptures down very seriously. They were accurate in their, in their uh, copying. They were faithful to the task. 
But then there were others that were not as serious about it. And there were some who didn't take the warning of Revelation 22 as seriously as they ought to take it. And so they did corrupt the word. But we have this knowledge, I think, in so many manuscripts that agree with one another that we can trust our English Bible, that we have God's word, that there is a pure stream that has been preserved. And so we can really have confidence that we do have God's infallible word. And we have it all. We have the full revelation. And, and I don't have any doubt concerning the testimony of God's word that we're not going to, that it, we're just not going to find something that's been lost to us. We're not going to suddenly stumble upon a book that should have been included in the Bible and then we would have the full revelation. Nor are we going to find a manuscript of some kind that, that may be uh, pretty much faithful to what we have, but it changes some of the doctrines that we now believe. We're not going to find anything like that because God has given us the complete word and we've had it since the time that John finished the revelation. Here's what Jude says. He calls it the faith once delivered to the saints. And so we have it all and we've always had it since the apostles died or as I said, since John penned these last words. Now, I want to go on just a little bit to give you a a few more comments about the full revelation. And then we're going to expand a little bit on the thought that it is the final revelation of God. So when when John recorded these words, the, the warning that he gave us, the warning was initially for the revelation. The warning is put at the end of this book. And the language of it's quite clear that this covers this special revelation that was given to John when he was on the Isle of Patmos and when uh, Christ spoke to him and when he heard these things, this, is, uh, this warning is about what he wrote in this book. Now, in the immediate context, then we're saying that it covers the book of Revelation. When you see that he says in verse 18, this book then he's talking about revelation. That's primary. In in Revelation 1, verse 19, Jesus spoke to him and said, Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. And several times throughout the book, uh, the prophecy is given, and John is told to write. In the 21st chapter, verse number 5, John was told to write, For these words are true and faithful. And so when we come to this 18th verse in chapter 22, and it says this prophecy, uh, the prophecy of this book, and the plagues that are written in this book, and in verse number 19, if any man shall add to the words of this book, well, the immediate context is the book of Revelation. But there are some who have taken that to mean, well, it's only Revelation. Only Revelation is the book that's off limits. As I said, there is no more important book, none more necessary to regulate the beliefs and anticipations of Christian people with regard to the future. Well, if that's a true statement, then it stands to reason that revelation, we can't doubt it, we can't doubt the purpose of it, we can't think that there's anything extra or anything other than will occur other than what God has said here. This is the declaration God has given of the future. And so this is what we expect. And this is what it will be. And if anybody says anything different from that, their opinion doesn't count. My opinion doesn't count if it's not founded upon the infallible word of God. So I don't have any doubt that the primary meaning is centered on these 22 chapters of Revelation. But does that mean that the rest of the Bible is fair game? 
Well, we have to add to this that the warning is inferred for all Scripture. The warning here is for all Scripture. And hopefully you are aware, very much aware, of the way that we approached our study in Revelation. It's not my method just to look at this material and just stay inside of this. But we take and we see how what's written here affects other parts of Scripture. And then we take the reverse of that. We look at other parts of Scripture and see how it helps us to explain what's written in the Revelation. So we want to look at it both ways. How does this shed light on the rest of the Bible? And how does this book shed light on, or other books of the Bible, shed light on this particular book? So we haven't talked about just bare essentials. We've not talked about just things that are future. But we've looked at many of the major themes of Scripture and many of the minor themes in Scripture. And and there's one important point that you can't have missed. And, And if you miss this, maybe I need to start over. And that is that the major point is that all major themes of Scripture find their terminus in the book of Revelation. Now, I want to take uh, just a few minutes to take you back to the first message of introduction that I gave four years ago, and that message was entitled, The Bookends of the Bible. And my purpose then was to show you that the themes in the first book of the Bible, which is Genesis, are the same themes that we find in the last book of the Bible, Revelation. Now, you can rest easy. I'm not going to preach that whole sermon again. That's not what I'm talking about tonight. But I do want to give you some of the headings and see, you should be very easily easily be able to spot these things, how that Genesis in the beginning of the Bible talks about same themes that we find in Revelation. So I had seven headings in that message. The first one was the old creation versus the new creation. Number two was the curse imposed versus the curse lifted. Number three, a tree prohibited versus a tree permitted. Number four was Satan's arrival versus Satan's removal. Number five, the beginning of sorrow versus the end of sorrow. Number six, death demanded versus death defeated. And number seven is Adam's wife versus the second Adam's wife. And so Genesis begins with those themes and Revelation sums up those themes and how they've been fulfilled or will be fulfilled in the future. So what does that mean? Well, it means if you were to tamper with what we find in Revelation, that you are at the same time tampering with the entire Word of God. Because you're dealing with the themes that run all throughout Scripture. All of this is God's sacred Word. Now, if I could go back to Jude for just a moment. He said, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. So Jude is writing there with the intent to show us that we have the complete word of God, that this is the preserved scripture. We have the whole of it. And our faith, starting with Genesis and ending with Revelation, is all all under the inspiration of God. It's been given us that we might know what God would have us to know. And so it's just as serious for a person to dig into those minor prophets in the last part of the Old Testament and try to change something there. It's just as serious to do that as it would be to go to the book of Matthew and there take the words of Jesus as the Jesus Seminar did, and say, well, Jesus didn't really say these things. These aren't his words. These aren't authentic. 
No, it's just as bad to do that in the minor prophets or any other part of the Bible as it is to go even to the words of Jesus and say that they don't belong there. So the entire Bible is God's word. It's all off limits. So it's not just revelation the warning refers to. The warning is inferred for all scripture. And that's because the scriptures are so tightly woven together that if you destroy one part of scripture, then you destroy other parts. Just like dominoes falling. Tip one over and things start falling behind it. And so you you take away from the word of God in the book of Revelation, you're going to end up taking away something from the rest of the Bible as well. Now, let's follow that up with number two is the Bible is the final revelation of God to man. The final revelation. Now, if we combine then what Jude said with these two verses, the statement becomes self-evident from this text. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Now, as I read that, those are words of finality. Anything added to Scripture, then that's assumed to be man's addition. Anything taken away from Scripture is man's subtraction. See, God said all that he's going to say, and so we're warned if anyone comes along with another doctrine that they did not receive that from God. And did you, do you understand? This is a method for us, for us to test further revelation. It actually becomes a method to test it because there's no way that we could know if someone actually was spoken to by God unless God should make one of two statements. He either says this, he says, listen very carefully because at some time I'm going to talk to you again. I have some more information I'm going to give you so you listen to me carefully, listen for my voice, I'm going to speak to you. Or God says, whatever you hear, that's not more or less than what I've already put in the scriptures, then it didn't come from me. And this is exactly what God did. He took the negative of those two propositions and he says, anything else does not come from me. Well, are there people today that claim they have received other revelations from God? Well, let me talk about that in the last few minutes that we have. First, we'll look at the problem of addition. If any man shall add unto these things. Now, in my mind, the most glaring example that pops into my head almost immediately is the Book of Mormon. Now, how how appropriate is it that Paul said in Galatians 1.8, and this is where we've been studying on Wednesday night, when he said, though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you that we preached unto you, let him be accursed. And where is it that Joseph Smith is supposed to have gotten his information? Where where do these golden plates came from that were the basis of the Book of Mormon? What did he claim? He claimed they were given to him by an angel, by the angel Moroni. Now, Now, one thing that's very important for a liar, it's very important that you remember what lies you told so that the next time you don't cross yourself up. And this is what Joseph Smith did. Sometimes he gave one description of this angel and said some things about him. And other times when he was asked about it or related the information, he said something different. See, he didn't get that information from God. Galatians 1.8 is actually tailor-made for Mormons 
because you couldn't describe them any better than that verse does. And then they also have other books that they claim that are superior to the Bible or gives other revelations from God. And those other revelations that they claim to have are not consistent with what's written in the doctrines uh, in, in God's Word, not consistent with doctrine of Scripture. In fact, some of it is explosive to the most critical aspects of the Christian faith. As you're well aware, I'm sure Mormons deny the deity of Jesus Christ. Now, I say they deny his deity. They may say that they don't because they believe that he's a God among gods. He's not true Jehovah God, the only God. They don't believe in the Trinity. They've they've taken that out. They don't believe in that. And so I think that they are included under that curse that's spoken by Paul in Galatians 1, 8, and 9. And most certainly, they're included under this curse of Revelation chapter 22. And you can add to them the Jehovah Witnesses, Christian Scientists, Seventh-day Adventists, and many others. And you can also add the Roman Catholic Church. Because they say that their traditions are equal or superior to the Word of God. And they can change whatever they want to change. So they say church authority is, or church tradition is authoritative as Scripture. Well, that's adding to the Word of God. And the warning is here. I don't want to have anything to do with that. The plagues can come upon them. That's what the Word of God says. But then there's another way that people say that they receive new revelation. It may not be that they have a written revelation, but they claim that they receive words of knowledge or they have special gifts of the Holy Spirit and these things that they, these gifts of the Spirit actually add to the understanding of Scripture. They give something new or some new prophecy that spreads further light upon what's written in Scripture. I want to add this before I tackle what the charismatics do with the Word of God. When this warning is given here about adding or subtracting from Scripture, the warning is not primarily the copyist. Now, obviously, I think that's included. Those that copy Scripture had a tremendous burden placed upon them for accuracy. But it's evident that there is no other book of the, of the Bible that has been so mutilated as the book of Revelation. If you look into this, there are more variations on the book of Revelation than there is any other book in Scripture. So I think copies are probably intended, but they're not the main ones that are intended by the warning. The warning is for those that handle the Word of God. And so we're talking about teachers and preachers in churches. And if you go back to chapters 2 and 3, and that's there at the beginning where Christ is speaking to the seven churches of Asia, who do you think would be most interested in changing what's written? in this revelation. Who would be the most interested? Well, you look at that. You have people in Pergamos that held the doctrine of Balaam. There were the Nicolaitans. In Thyatira, there was a wicked woman who was named Jezebel, and she claimed to be a prophetess. In the church of Laodicea, there were lukewarm Christians, and they were self-indulgent Christians, and Christ said to them, you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked. Well, those are folks that would most certainly want to change this, this writing, these writings because this was a letter that was sent on a circuitous route all around these seven churches in the province, in that province of uh, uh, in the, in, in Asia Minor there. So that, that's sent to all those churches. And, and when that, these letters came to them, I'm sure it didn't make John a popular preacher. 
And so I can see John just sort of wagging his finger at these people when they read the words that Jesus told him to write. And John's wagging his finger and he's saying, don't you dare even think about changing what's written. And so the warning is primarily to those who are teachers of the word. Now let me address for a minute what's happening with charismatics and when they claim to have revelations by speaking in tongues and all the other spiritual gifts. And, and really, folks, there are so many other issues to deal with these charismatic churches that it seems like this part of it's just a small sidelight. I mean, they're guilty of all kinds of horrible heresies, especially those in the Word of Faith movement. And all of that stuff comes under the heading of altering God's Word. But the most blatant of all of it, and where they run so far afoul of Scripture, is in the area of prophecy. And we have this warning in chapter 22. And so this is not really a side issue that we're dealing with here. We may think, oh, well, it's not too important at all. But folks, it is very important because of what we read in Revelation. Now, it's very apparent that by reading church history, that New Testament prophecy was fading away by the end of the first century. When Paul wrote 1 Corinthians... That was one of the earliest books that we have in the New Testament. And he spoke there about speaking in tongues. But it's evident even at that point that speaking in tongues was in sharp decline. And as you look at the rest of the New Testament, there are no other mentions of it in all the rest of the New Testament. So you get to 1 Corinthians, one of the earliest books, and there's no more mention of it at all. And also as you look at church history, the gift of prophecy vanished And by the end of the revelation, that was completely gone. Well, you have a great problem then if after finishing the book and writing the last warnings that we have here, uh, that someone comes along and claims, well, I have the gift of prophecy. And and they want to change something that's been written here. Now, if they can change this prophecy, then they can change anything in the Bible. I've already pointed out that the warning covers all the rest of Scripture as well as what we read here in Revelation. So you change this part, then you can change any part. And that's something that has to be closely observed when we look at this prophecy in Revelation because this prophecy was given by John 2,000 years ago. And do you notice that it extends all the way into the future? that it extends all the way to the time that Christ returns, and it even goes further than that, that the prophecy of John, he tells us things that happen after Christ comes. He tells us about heaven and something about the eternal state and about people uh, being thrown into into the lake of fire. So what he's done here, he's comprehended everything that will happen. And so if someone comes along and they say, I have a new revelation, it means that they're stepping into the territory that's already been covered by the Apostle John. And so they have to claim either that John didn't have the whole truth or that God didn't actually mean the warning that he gave in verses 18 and 19. Now let me quote to you from Robert Thomas' exegetical commentary on Revelation. He says, any type of prophetic utterance would intrude into the domain of this coverage and constitute either an addition to or subtraction from Revelation's content. So the final book of the Bible is also the concluding product of New Testament prophecy. It also marks the close of the New Testament canon since the prophetic gift was the divinely chosen means for communicating the inspired books of the canon. 
This is a warning, not just to the would-be prophets themselves who might try to continue prophetic ministries beyond the time of Revelation's writing, but also to everyone who hears, that is, those in the churches who needed to refuse any authority that challenged the divine authority, accuracy, and finality of this prophecy. The observation is true that this warning applies specifically to the book of Revelation only, but by extension, it entails the termination of the gift of prophecy of the New Testament canon also. And so I hope that you understand that, that when the charismatic comes along and he claims tongue gifts and he claims new revelation and he has, says I have the gift of prophecy then he's doing what this writer says that he's a would-be prophet that is challenging the authority the accuracy and the finality of God's prophecy and then I'll repeat what I've said on several occasions if the charismatics have a prophecy and they claim that they are not intruding then what could they prophesy that's not already in the word of God I mean, what are they going to say that God hasn't already said? And if God has already said it, why does he need them to tell somebody else again the same thing that he said? So you go to the Bible, and there you find everything that you need to know. There's no use for tongues. There's no use for prophecy today. And there's not only no use for it, but it's a false claim if anyone says that they can do that. So that's heresy. Really, all that you have to do, you know, really, really, all you have to do is look at the wild, heretical doctrines that these people teach and how in the world would you ever believe that what they said was true? I mean, if they had a prophecy from God, who could actually believe them because everything else they say is a lie? I mean, there's so many doctrines that they're off on. You can't have confidence that somebody like that's telling you the truth from God. There are two spirits that operate in the world. Who are they? The Holy Spirit, and as the Word of God says, the spirit of Antichrist, and that is the same as Satan himself. Now, Satan desires to violate the warning. He does everything he can to violate the warning. But we have only one source for truth, and that's God himself, and what the charismatics are doing comes from Satan and not from God. So you have that problem. You have the problem of addition. Then verse number 19 speaks of the problem of subtraction. If any man shall take away from the words of this book, well, where would the deletions come from? Well, they would come from people I mentioned earlier, the Jezebels, Nicolaitans, those teaching the uh, doctrines of Balaam that comes from lukewarm, fake Christians, people that have their own agenda, people that don't want to hear about the abominable sins that they commit. Those were people in that time that would want to take away from the words of the prophecy. But who today, who who today would desire to take something away? Well, it's actually just as big a problem as there is the adding to the word of God. Because what do we find in churches today? Well, there's a great dearth of gospel preaching, isn't there? In this city, in the rest of the country... Where are you finding people that are preaching the gospel as it's taught right here in the word of God? You know, I think that I'm going to be well prepared for heaven because I've been practicing my harp. I've been harping on a lot of things. And uh, one of the things I harp on a lot is this, that people subtract preaching of the depravity of man and and sinfulness of of man and and i harp on this that people don't preach about hell and you don't even you find some churches that don't even talk about the cross and they don't want to talk about the cross because they think it's so barbaric they don't want to mention the blood of christ 
Now, we've got problems, folks, when the gospel of Christ is emasculated and when, when the gospel is deprived of these essential elements that have to be preached in order to save people from their sins. You can't get people saved. God doesn't save people without truth. He doesn't save them without the, the fullness of the gospel itself. And I'm bothered by people, and I'll harp on this as well, those who remove the work of the Holy Spirit and take that out of redemption. And I'm bothered by those who give us a different Christ with different purposes. People I mentioned a moment ago, the word of faith groups that say things like, well, you're all right. You just need to think more positively. You need to have a little bit more self-esteem. You need to increase what your good feelings about yourself. And that's a junk gospel. I mean, that, that's a gospel that takes away from the glory of God and gives it to man. And as I mentioned this morning, when, when, when God is taught as a sugar daddy that when it makes you rich, wants to make you rich, and you're faithful and unbelieving, if you're not rich, if you're a Christian and God's not prospering you that way, they say, well, then you're out of the will of God. You're faithful, you're unfaithful, you're unbelieving. That's also a false gospel. And that needs to be thrown out of the compass, compost pile. So what do I want? What is it that I desire to see? Well, I I desire to see the old-fashioned gospel. I I desire to see what's been taught by Jesus and the apostles and all of these faithful men down through the centuries. See, it's the gospel that causes people to understand they're vile, wicked sinners, that they're under the condemnation of God. The true gospel of Christ shows people that they have no hope, that they're helpless, And what they must do is cry out in deep contrition, God, please save my unworthy soul. That's the gospel that saves. And that's the gospel that we want to preach. A gospel is the one that says that Christ took the hell that I deserved. And he took all of these sins that I have that were a stench in the nostrils of God. And Jesus took that to the cross and he suffered everything that I should have suffered. I want to preach a gospel that gives the glory to God for his unspeakable gift. So I do want to take anything away from the precious story of Christ, uh, of the gospel itself, because there is no salvation without it. And then let me close with the final observation, and this is the problem of retribution. So we have the problem of addition, and we have the one of subtraction. And for those that are guilty of adding to or taking away from God's word we have the problem of retribution. God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. God shall take away his part out of the book of life. Let me address those two phrases very quickly. The first one's pretty simple. He says, if you do this, then the plagues that are written in the book become yours. I hope you remember the plagues things that are spoken of here in Revelation. You go to chapter 2 and verse 22, and there you find God talks about tribulation. You go to 16 verse 1, and you find vials of wrath. And you go to Revelation 19:20, and there you find a lake of fire burning with brimstone. So it's not an easy course for somebody to follow that wants to change God's word. And I'm not, I'm not ashamed in the least to say people who change the word of God deserve what's coming to them. See, I don't have any sympathy for these milquetoast, panty-waist preachers and perverters of truth. And, and when you talk about, I mean, I don't want to see people go to hell, obviously, but when you talk about the health, wealth, and prosperity preachers, these are people that have heard the truth, 
mean, I hope people that, that have heard them speak and heard their preaching, that they turn from that and they get the truth from someone. But these fellows themselves, I think they've already heard the truth because there's been enough written and there's been enough said to show them the error of their ways. And what they are, they're just intentional deceivers. And the Bible says that all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire that burns with brimstone. And so there's a day of reckoning coming, and it's going to be far worse for them than the ones they deceived. And then we have that second phrase. God shall take away his part out of the book of life. Now that's the phrase that Criswell attacked in that first statement that I, that I read to you uh, and, and this has been used to teach that a, that a saved person might be guilty of perverting the word of God and God would then erase his name out of the book of life. Now, two things I'll say about that and we'll be through. First, it is possible for Christians to be in error about Scripture. That's possible. I mean, you may hear a preacher preach one thing and then he turns around and preaches something different. He changes his mind about it. And that might be because he's discovered truth. I mean, there's none of us. I mean, I don't claim that I'm infallible on the scriptures. So if I see something that needs to be changed, well, I don't want to keep leading you in the wrong direction, so I'm going to change that. But we're not talking here about inadvertently teaching something that's wrong. And then secondly, the warning is not about losing salvation. Because a child of God would never purposely pervert the word of God. You know why? Because God protects him from that. That's part of what you get in your salvation. The Holy Spirit's not going to let you do that. So you find somebody who does. If you find somebody who's constantly perverting and twisting the scriptures, don't assume that they're saved. Assume that they're lost. Because no child of God would purposely do that. He's protected from the Holy Spirit from those kinds of errors. So what does it mean then? What's it saying here? God will take away his part out of the book of life. Well, the truth of it is the person never had his name in the book of life. The book of life has been settled before the world was ever created. Names aren't changed and names aren't erased from the book of life. So what does that mean? His name's going to be taken out of the book of life. Ah, that's a good question, isn't it? And we have a good answer. It's just as Jesus says in Luke 8, 18... He said, Take heed, therefore, how ye hear, for whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken even that which he seemeth to have. How are you going to take away something that a person seems to have? Well, it's exactly like we're talking about here. You have people that claim to be teachers of the truth, and people say, Oh, yeah, he's got a Bible standing behind a pulpit. I mean, he's got to be a preacher from God. He has to be telling the truth, and people believe that. But actually, he may be on his fast on the fast track to hell. And people believe he's saying right, and he believes that he's saying what's right. It seems like he's a true preacher, but he's not. And so hell where, is where he was originally headed, and hell is where he's going to end up. So what the Word of God is telling us, it, it is a very serious issue to tamper with God's Word. It is very serious when you add to God's Word when you claim that you have a new revelation, when you have something that you know, I just heard, I just heard last night. I was listening to a preacher just last night, and he said, "I got a revelation from God. God spoke to me about this." Okay, sure. Well, whatever. You claim a new revelation of prophecy, you're adding to the Word of God, and that's serious. And it's serious to subtract from God's Word. 
and especially when we think about people who take away the true meaning of the gospel of Christ, that they take away, again, as I said, the depravity of man and the, and the deep need that we have for Christ as a Savior, that we are sinners in need of the grace of God, and change that to something else. That's subtracting from God's Word, and God is not going to hesitate to punish those who take away from His Word. Now, here then is the final part, and that is be thankful that you're able to go to a church where we read from the Bible and we preach from the Bible and we take God's word and we leave what's in, in, and we leave what's out, out. We just want the pure word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great blessings. We thank you, Lord, that you've saved us by your marvelous grace. We're thankful, Lord, that people are interested in hearing the truth of the, of the word. And though we don't claim any infallibility for what we preach, yet I think we can honestly say that we're not trying to go beyond what Scripture says. We're not trying to fall short of what Scripture says. We just want to read it from your word and get it exactly as you said it to us. And we have confidence that your word is truth from beginning to end. Thank you for your people. Lord, bless each of us as we contemplate this great book of Revelation and how important that your word is. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.